Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. simply because there are people on the other on the other side of the country that are celebrating the 30th anniversary of God sort of pouring himself out in Toronto and I, I don't know if you know this but if that hadn't happened there would be no Randy Clark there'd be no global awakening no global celebration there'd be no Bethel church there'd be no Aris ministries this all came from this is the fruit of what God did we would not be here now some of you might think well, no, that no, wouldn't be a bad thing, but we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be like in the U.S. We probably, I don't know where we'd be, um, because well, we'll chat a little bit about that tonight. Um, uh, I, I get very emotional even thinking about it, just about the goodness of God interrupting our lives. Um, so, for those that don't know me, my name's Ian. Um, I don't feel like an apostle. I don't feel like a seer. I don't feel very equipped. Um, I don't feel like I have anything to say. I don't feel like I have anything to offer. Um, But it's not about my feelings. Right? Like, I really feel that's a prophetic word. Don't care. I don't care whether you feel it's a prophetic word or not. Because some of the, like, can you imagine some of the prophetic words that people are given throughout Scripture? They're terrifying. Like, what, what, ha- what happens when Jeremiah, like, the Lord comes to Jeremiah, before you were formed, I knew you, and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. And what's his first response? No. No. Too young. And God immediately, like, rebukes him and says, don't you dare. It says in the King James, it's like, say not. It's like God saying, shut up. Only he probably did it a lot nicer, right? Because he's God. But it's like, no, just no. You see, I mean, one of the things that David, those that were there last night, and David prophesied over us, na 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 na, um, and it was amazing. It was just an amazing word, just speaking right into where we're at, and uh, just so encouraging. Um, but one of the things I really valued about what he brought last night was this notion of that it's time to speak. Not time to feel. Like feelings are great, right? Feelings are great, apparently. Um, But it's not actually time to feel. That's not the season we're in. We might have been in that season where we're all like feeling and making sure that our feelings were. And then we've sort of swung as a society to this other places that the only thing matters is my feelings. That's not right. The only thing that matters is truth and what God has said, you know. Like we're supposed to be worshiping in spirit and truth, whatever whatever that means, right? Like <laughs> I've heard really bad sermons about where we're worshiping spirit and truth. So spirit's the woo and the truth's the mmm. It's like, no, like that's not what it's, that's clearly not what it's saying. But uh, so truth matters. You're welcome. Okay, we can go home now. Truth matters. Like truth matters. 
actually matters. My son and I are going to start doing a little series of stuff of why Scripture matters. Why you can't just take Scripture and say, well, I'm only going to listen to the things that Jesus said. Right? Those red-letter Christians that don't believe anything else that Paul wrote or anything through church history has been established. They're just believing like the good. Oh, if Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality, it must be okay. Absolute. No, it, truth matters. So, truth matters. And, and it is the time to speak truth in love. And that's different than loving to speak the truth. Like, that's way different. There are people that love to speak the truth. That's not, please, honestly, I meet some of you on my Facebook page. <laughs> Seriously, all I need to do is run ads about. So just, again, for those, I, I don't feel all the time that I'm this, but I know what God has called me to do. I think I know what God's called me to do. I'm pretty sure I know what God's called. I hope I know what God's, right? Because we're all in the same boat. We're all looking for that absolute assurance that this is the right thing when God says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to let you live a life without faith. Faith, for those that don't understand my... I'm not going to bring you into this place where you're absolutely certain that this is the word of the Lord. Because you have to move by faith. And we'll get into that a little bit. So here, here I am and... You know, this is what I'm doing, and I don't feel like this, but I know that God has called me to do certain things and to behave in certain ways, and not to behave in certain ways, but just like he has created me with a purpose. And I might spend the rest of my life trying to figure out exactly what, or honing that and refining it, but he's called me to a purpose. And, and it's the same with every single one of you. You're not supposed to be speaking feelings. In fact, God rebukes people all the time when they start to speak feelings in the middle of a prophecy. Zachariah, how can this be? Right? Like, you know, hey, I am the angel Gabriel. I stand before the Almighty God, and I'm going to tell you that your, your wife's going to be pregnant. How will I know for sure? Like, how will I really know? Okay, I'm going to need you to shut up for the next nine months. I'm going to need you to close your mouth because what you say will abort the promise of God in your life. Like, it's that important. It's time to speak, right? It's, you know, let the weak not fail. Many of us are waiting in that feeling to get us off our blessed assurances that we would actually start to do something or we're waiting and actually knowing, I need to know 100% that this is the Lord and the Lord's saying, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. I need you to trust the word that you were given. Let me tell you about some of the trusting words. Forgive me. I got saved when I was 15, not churched whatsoever. I didn't know the difference between Santa Claus and Jesus Christ. I honestly had no clue. The, the, the family that I was brought up in would be described today, my, grand, my grandmother would be described today as very Wiccan. Um, and, you know, Wiccan, for those that don't know, I'm just going to, like, 
tell you what Wicca is. Wiccan was only invented in the 1950s. It's not this ancient religion. Um, it was invented by a guy who took little bits of all these different religions, threw in a bit of Arthurian legends, he's English, and created this thing called Wicca. So it's not this like ancient thing that they, but that's kind of the stuff that my grandmother would have been into, you know, Irish folklore, myth, magic. It's okay, I've been set free. <laughs> From that generation of sin. No, just joking. <laughs> I, uh, it's an inside joke or something. So I got saved when I was 15. And I can remember the moment, and I had this experience recently where it was like, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and I'm like 15, spotty, acne, insecure. I'm like six foot and 150 pounds. Yeah, like I am a beanpole. I would make Michael look tubby, <laughs> you know? And there I am in my room, and I'm like, okay, okay, God, what if... Okay, God, I give in, I give in. Yes, come into my heart, because I've been told to say that. Come into my heart, and I want to be a Christian. And everything changed. I, I had this, like, experience recently where I was back in that room and watching how everything changed. You ever watch Inception or something like that? But it's like everything changed for me and my children and my grandchildren that I don't have yet, but please pray, and my great-grandchildren, like everything changed for generations to come because of my response to Jesus' call. Every, like you did the same. When you decided to follow Jesus, you didn't just make a decision for you. You made a decision for the generations that are going to come after you. Like incredible. What a gift to be able to give them. Like that's part of what I want to talk about tonight is even this notion of, of the people that have gone before us in the word. In that word that, you know, the people that have responded. But here I am. I get saved. I start to go to this little fellowship. We called it a fellowship. We didn't call it a church. Because we met on a Wednesday night and a Friday night and a Sunday afternoon. So that people could go to church. And it was evangelism, the word of God. Evangelism, the word of God. I'm like 10 days a Christian. And I'm out knocking on my neighbor's door. How absolutely mortifying. I'm knocking on my neighbor's door doing a survey. I don't know if anybody got saved in the late 70s and early 80s, but we did these survey things. You know, hello, do you believe in God? I'm doing a survey for a local church. Do you believe in God? No, why not? <laughs> right? And I was supposed to give them all the answers and like, you know, are you a Christian? Uh, no. Would you like to become a Christian? That was kind of the last question. So I'm leading people to Jesus in my neighborhood when I'm 15 and been saved for 10 days. It was that kind of super intense. We would stay up all night like praying and talking about scripture and all. I was the youngest person. They were all in their 20s and 30s. They were all hippies, ex-drug addicts, paramilitaries uh, in Northern Ireland. Um, Ex-paramilitaries that had been in prison and got saved generally, hopefully most of them. Um, but this is my environment, and it, but it's completely cessationist. So we didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or anything like that. In fact, even later on, I can remember some friends that got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I thought they'd had a mental breakdown. Or they were just super weak, and they needed something else, whereas I had Scripture. So all I needed was Scripture. I didn't need none of this Holy Ghost stuff. I had Scripture. That's kind of what was my thought process. 
So it's like two weeks after my 16th birthday, and I'm 16, and I'm super intense. Like, I don't know what, I, mean, I don't know if you picked that up a little bit, but I can be super intense. And I'm like, God, I don't want to waste time dating people. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to stir up love before it's ready. Lord, tell me who I'm going to marry. <laughs> and I'm hoping he says this other, this, this particular girl, is it her? And round the corner walks this beautiful, way out of my league, young woman. And God says, her. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to fight that hard. <laughs> right? Like, I can, you know, I can, I can maybe punch above my weight a little bit, but that's punching above my weight. Do you ever get a prophetic word like that? Or it's like, no. No. Uh, can I take the ugly one? <laughs> I didn't say that because I didn't think she was ugly. But, but this, and this was like, okay, I, I get this prophetic word. All right, what do you do with that? What do you do with a prophetic word? God has given you a prophetic word. What do you do with it? You're going to marry, you know, I want you to marry this woman, or I think this is the woman you're going to marry. And, of course, it was Rachel. <laughs> but here's the thing. No, 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 no. I did not go up to Rachel and say, Thus saith the Lord, thou art to be my wife. I have heard stories of guys doing that. I really believe that the Lord has told me you're the one. Well, he hasn't told me, right? Like, don't do that. Don't use prophecy as manipulation on other people. Right, you, you can't kind of do that. So I was like, I'm, again, I'm super intense. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm reading scripture all the time. So I decided if God reveals something, you should do something like Mary, which is keep this thing in your heart. Treasure it in your heart. This is, no one taught me how to do this. I just thought that's a good idea. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to walk around telling everybody, you know, I'm going to be marrying Rachel. The Lord has willed it. But, but here's the thing. Like a couple of weeks into this, like initially I was like, nah, it's not what I want. I want this other girl. And then, of course, not because like, just because she's out of my league. Remember, I'm 150 pounds and six foot one probably by this, you know. Um, I'm dirt poor. I don't think I have any options, any, nothing going on. I have nothing going on for me. So I, I would love to settle for this rather than what God wants to give me. Or God has made it. I don't know how all that works out with, you know, free will and all that. But, but how this, the, the God's thing, no, no, this is, this is what I want. And a couple of weeks after that, I'm like, hmm. Really? That'd be kind of cool. And he's like, yeah, but you're going to have to wait seven years for her. Like, Jacob, I have to wait for Rachel. I'm going to have to wait for Rachel seven years. Now, the whole time, I would, I would not be just walking around like some crazed, prophetic nut job. Right, you all know them. I'm just obeying the will of the Lord. I'm just responding to a prophetic word. No, you're just disguising independence as obedience. 
You're just disguising doing your own thing as being obedient to prophetic word that you got about yourself. And, and throughout the next seven years, I would, I would have signs, wonders, confirmations, other people, you know, sort of like speaking into it. And I'd be like, this is going to happen. So seven years. No, it wasn't. It was about six and a half years after that. Um, we went on vacation. There about 10 of us went on vacation, and we just really struck up. We'd been friends for years, and um, I, I concealed my prophetic word. They never told Rachel, but we went away vacation. We were in Costa Blanca in Spain, and um, we just really hit it off. And we come back, and a couple of months after that, we started dating. Can you imagine how I felt? When two months later, Rachel dumped me. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you how it really happened. I mean, she didn't just dump me. <laughs> she took my heart. She put it into a shredder. She threw it on the ground, jumped up and down on it, and set it on fire. But I had to, I had to say, well, God, this was you. Like this, this was actually you. You, this was born by you. I've spent. I, I didn't date anybody. She was the only person I've ever dated, the only woman I've ever dated, and I haven't dated any man, just to be clear, but she is the only human being, I don't know what way to say that, um, she is the only person I have ever dated because I, you know, I'm like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right, like I want to make that adjustment for my generations to come that this relationship is whole and holy. And, you know, so I, made, I, I didn't date anybody. It's not that I didn't have the opportunity, but I just know this. Why would I do this whenever this is what God wants for me? God wants the best for me. And then she broke my heart. And I have to walk through this. Well, God, what, what happened? Like, what, what happened there? And come to that place of, like, I don't know. I don't really understand. But I know you're good. I don't really understand what's happening at the minute. I know that I've spent seven years and sacrificed and, you know, whatever. And then in January, what would be seven years and three weeks later, we started dating again. And our first date, first time we spent together was watching the Super Bowl in 1988. Was that me? San Diego. I had no clue that San Diego even really existed. And there I am watching this San Diego team with, we were married 35 years in March. You know, someone said to me, someone said to me, someone said to me 35 years to the same woman. And I said, no, 
no, this is not the same moment. I'm not the same guy. You know, we all change. We all grow. So for all you people... For all you people that are single and you're looking and saying, oh, you know, I would love I would love a husband like that or a wife like that, just know that we didn't come like this. <laughs> this is 35 years of being honed <laughs> by, by this human being, this woman here. So, so what do you do when you get the prophetic word? What do you do when you get the prophetic word and it doesn't happen the way you'd expected it to happen? Like, what do you do with that? Like, I expect, I had all expectation that this is what it would be like, and it didn't happen like that. We get a prophetic word after the whole Toronto outpouring. Um, we're in one of those meetings, and this person says, I really see you, you know, you all know Mark DuPont? So we're in a meeting with Mark. We're, we're not in a meeting. There's 2,000 people in this meeting, and Mark DuPont get, gets on stage, and Rich and I are like, oh, you know, we're doing all the charismatic stuff, and Mark DuPont just picks us out and says, missions and evangelism. A couple of weeks later, I'll get this prophetic word from someone who says, I see you going to a country that is known for its floods and its drought. I'm thinking I'm going to Bangladesh. <laughs> I'm, th I'm thinking, oh no, I'm going to Bangladesh. I mean, I once spent a week in Bangladesh one night. It felt like a week, but it was only one night. <laughs> like, oh, not Bangladesh. And, of course, I end up coming to a land that's known for floods and drought, which is the United States. Crazy. It wasn't what I expected. Right? Certainly not what I what the, But So what do you do? You get this prophetic word, and what are your responsibilities with it? What do you do with the prophetic word? Let me Let me read something from... The Bible, I know I have my glasses. You doing okay? I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I don't know if you've ever heard this in a, okay, that's great. I'm reading from the Passion Translation because the other translations talk about wombs and breasts. Uh, thankfully, that's not in there, but I have said it anyway, so there you go. And it's Jesus, and he said, and, and while he was saying, this is, this is Luke 11 and verse 27, while he was saying all this, a woman shouted from the crowd, God bless the one who gave you birth and nursed you as a child. See, you can see the woman things there. Um, seriously, if you want to offend Christians, all you have to do is talk about this stuff, and we're good. And Jesus said, yes, but God will bless all who listen to the word of God and carefully obey everything they hear. Right? So our response to the prophetic word last night, God, I don't know if you heard it, but God is getting ready to write the check. Well, that means we're going to go for checks in the mail. No. I want you to know that that's not our stance. I'm not waiting for any check in the mail. We'll get to that. Checks in the mail are great. And if you want my address, please. And again, if there are two L's in million, if you, if you get confused. So... This, this is what it references. It references this Luke 8, 20. So he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You see, you can have... You, you, you can have faith or you can have faith with works. You can have this dead faith. 
faith. F-A-I-T-H. Right? So you can have that dead faith or you can have an alive faith. An alive faith means you actually move with it. Like, let me give you the most concrete example. There are no children in the room, so we're going to keep offending people. Um, Abraham, Sarah, you're going to have a child. Oh, yes, checks in the mail. That's not how it happens. Abraham, Sarah, you're going to have a child. Now, I don't want you to get all weird with this, but he's a hundred. <laughs> She's not far behind. How, how do you actually have a live faith for that word? How did they have, don't, again, don't, don't linger too long, but when God promises you something, sometimes you just got to get busy with it. In fact, it's not sometimes, it's every single time. There's only one exception that I can see in, in, in Scripture, and that's Mary, but even I would argue that Mary was something special, like she was, a, she was like no other woman. And I know we Protestants don't like all that because, well, it's just, but she was like no other woman. And, you know, I would argue that she had spent whatever years, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, whatever years it was, like preparing herself for something that she maybe didn't even know. But your prophetic word demands a response. It demands a response from you. Right? Well, the Lord says that I'll be married. Okay, gentlemen, stop living in your mother's basement and playing Xbox 20 hours a day. How about we do that? How about we start somewhere like that? <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord wants me to get married. Okay, ladies. No, I won't go there. I won't go there. Right? It's like, do I have any agency, any responsibility in the prophetic word? Or have we now just adopted this sort of Christian fatalism, like whatever shall be, shall be? No. You see, you diminish your efficacy. There was a, there was a thing. It's, it's. I can't think of a prophet in the Old Testament that wasn't submitted to authority. Like Daniel. I run a thing called the Daniel Company. The thing about Daniel, like I don't know if you know how incredible Daniel's story is, but Daniel made this prophecy that in 490 years that the Messiah would come. And I know there's arguments eschatologically about a lost week, a lost seven years, et cetera, et cetera. Don't intend to get into that. Is there water? Yeah. So, that one's good. That one's good. <laughs> Thanks. You're the best. Um, so, so what we what we currently I would say what we currently have is that we have currently got a bunch of eunuchs in the kingdom that are not able to reproduce because they have failed to submit. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If, if I am just so independent, I cannot reproduce. 
if it's me, you, you know, the, the, greatest, the greatest occult saying in the world is do as you please. Do as thy wilt, for it is the only law. I'm quoting the occult right here in church. Because it doesn't come as a surprise, because a lot of the prophetic movement is like, you got this, sister. You got this, brother. You're amazing. You don't need anything else in your life except for wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. The same sort of things that Jesus did, right? So we hear all about, like, there's, like, Daniel is submitted to a demonically possessed king. And we worry about, like, you know, our politicians. Here's the, here's the thought, people. You ready for this one? You ready for this one? God didn't create politics to change the world. He created prophecy. It's not politics that's supposed to change the world. It is prophecy. It is the power of a prophetic word released as a seed into the earth. If you start to look at Scripture with a prophetic lens and realize that even Jesus, listen, Jesus is planted as a seed in the ground as a prophetic act. He never needed to be buried, but he is planted inside the earth as the prophetic act that he's going to redeem the earth. This was, this was the power of God. Like it's, we, we reduce it to like, well, the Lord has told me something to do and I'm just going to do it. Yes, obedience is crucial, but, but so is submission. None of us would be here if it wasn't for the submission of a son to a father. And, and one of the dangers of a prophetic culture, as someone who is led a church in this in a prophetic culture. One of the dangers is you get a bunch of, I, how can I say it? I'm going to say it gently, weirdos. Who have only heard a voice for themselves and are prepared to like scorch earth for that voice that they've heard themselves. I'm going to go it alone and I will take no input from anybody else. And they end up not reproducing and being eunuchs for the kingdom. Like, this isn't even about, I'm going to go one step further. This isn't even about belonging to a prophetic community, even though we run a prophetic community. This is having mothers and fathers in the shape of pastors, leaders, prophets in your life, being able to say no. Like, you don't test our relationship. You'll never test, like, you know, you know what it's like. You know that you've, the person will come into church and like, oh, this is the most amazing church I've ever been to. You're the best preacher. You should be on TBN. We need the world to listen to your message. And you know, oh no, they're, they're going to last six months. They'll be here six months. Because they're not used to dealing with being offended. But, like, I don't know how to deal with being offended. I'm offended. Okay, so I have to leave because you're no longer perfect. Whereas this whole notion of covenant, and we'll talk a little bit about that this afternoon, I'll talk a little bit about that this afternoon, this whole notion of covenant is a commitment to unoff being unoffended. Like, that's, that's what 35 years gets you. 35 years doesn't, you know, if we had been offended, if Rachel was offended at every weird thing I do, we'd have probably lasted three days, maybe, at a stretch. But it's not, it's this commitment. I am committed to being unoffended. 
in this relationship. And I, I want prophetic people like that. I want prophetic people that can get things wrong and be corrected and still be okay. Not think it's the end of the world. Right? Because I don't know about you, but I don't hear the Lord 100%. You might be that good. <laughs> I remember people used to say, well, why do you not plan more? Because, you know, because the Holy Spirit, he can tell you what you're going to be doing in December. So you should plan the sermons, you know, to December. Like the Holy Spirit might know, but I'm not that good. Like I just can't do that. That's just not who I am. I could maybe do like two weeks out, but, you know. <laughs> like could you plan your year? I could. It won't be very good. In fact, you know, two weeks into it, I'll be like, the Lord has changed my mind, you know. <laughs> It's, it's not that, you know, so we can't, anyway. Like b being able to, to steward things in, in covenantal community. Like San Diego does not need another leader. San Diego needs a people that are committed to themselves and committed to an unoffended reality. My, like I, I've, I've been a Christian for 44 years. It's a long time. And you see these things coming. All, you, know, you see these repeated patterns over and over again. Like one of the repeated patterns that just like, like I roll my eyes is there's every like four years, five years, there's this movement in the church that's like the Lord is moving the church into small groups. Have you all heard that one? Like it is about small groups of men and women meeting in coffee shops and in homes, and that's the way the church is going to be most effective, besides the fact that there's a whole bunch of ways they met in the New Testament, even meeting in synagogues and all that. But yes, they met in homes, but they met in a bunch of other places as well. But somehow people are fixated by that. And my fear is that it's driven of through and driven by independence. Like I don't want anybody else speaking in my life. I don't want anybody else like correcting me. If I'm if I'm living with my girlfriend, it's none of your business. If I'm behaving like this, it's none of your business. No, it is. Like if you understand authority, it is absolutely. And one of the one of the deficits of the prophetic movement. One of the deficits that can happen in a prophetic movement is that it just becomes independence. It is just simply independence masked as obedience. But we have a responsibility. When God gives a word, we have responsibilities to that word. Now, I don't know if you know the, the life of a prophetic word, but the life of a prophetic word goes something like this. The enemy doesn't know what's happening. Like, he's constantly in a state of, I don't know what's happening. I want you to know that. That's part of the enemy's, like, reality. I don't know what's happening. Right? So, 
He's just trying to do the same old thing, the same old way with a few different, you know, media outlets involved and all that. He's just trying to do this, you know, his, his old steal, kill, and destroy stuff. He doesn't know what's happening. He had no idea why Jesus was born. Like, so he tried to take, you know, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that the enemy could actually try and discover what Jesus, what the plan was. We, we call it, you know, temptation. It wasn't really a temptation. Don't really think that's true. Um, I... And I'm not the only one. I'm not just making this up. I, I think the actual plan was to for the enemy to, like it was intel. He was looking for intel. What's happening? And maybe if you kill yourself and I see you coming back to life, maybe you'll know this. So it was just intel. So the enemy's just doing that because he has no clue what's happening until the prophetic word is released. The prophetic word, so prophets, you're stirring up People that are prophesying, you're stirring up the enemy's work. Yes. Right? That should get you excited. Because in order for your prophetic word to come true, there must be a challenge to it. I don't think he even knows that. I mean, he might have heard it, but I don't think he really believes it. For your prophetic word to come true, it has it must, not sometimes, it must be tested in the fires of Mount Doom. I promised myself I wouldn't do one Tolkien reference today. <laughs> it has got to be tested in the fires. Like, I, I don't mean like maybe, oh, oh, will, I, will she really marry me? Oh, I don't know. I mean like sacrifice, broken heart, you know, shredded, stomped on, set on fire. I mean that must happen to your prophetic word before because it needs to be built in you before it's ever going to be built around you. Now, what we do, and some of you are starting to think, oh, no, I let it die. Have I let that prophetic word die? Is this because of me that the prophetic word died? Well, the great thing is we're, we're you know, we are serving a redeemer. Someone who redeems and restores. We don't have to get into the whole enemies. We don't have to do the enemy's work for them and start to beat ourselves up and whip ourselves and think we're horrible and all that. We just have to believe that if it's not plan A, then it's going to be plan A. And yes, you heard me correctly. If it's not plan A, it's going to be plan A. In fact, it might even be at plan A star. Right? It might just be a little bit better than you even dreamt or hoped for. Because he's that good, he's ridiculously good. You're not going to get to heaven and God say, listen, listen, uh, Micah, you kept telling people that I was really good. I was never that good. He's not going to do that. Right? He's just not. Like you were telling people I was gooder than I was. Uh, you know, no. So, so this isn't about blame. This is about like ownership of your prophecy. Like, I personally don't think you should, like, make any life-changing prophetic or life-changing decisions based on one prophecy that you received, one impression that you received, or I just felt the Lord leading me here. Did a couple of other people endorse that? Well, you know, I don't really have those in my life. That's the problem. That's what's giving the Lord a bad reputation. That's what gives prophecy and the charismatic movement a bad reputation is because we're not actually stewarding prophecy you doing okay 
So what do you do with that prophetic word then that you've let lapse, that you've actually thought was, you know, shredded, trod on, set in flames? What do you do with that prophetic word? It might be time to, might be time to scrape it off the sidewalk, <laughs> see what's left of it. Super glue. <laughs> Might be time to just like say, you know what, Lord, for, you know, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Like this kind of stuff, like I, I need, I need to know that this is still alive. Just ask him that. I need to know that this is still alive and ask a few other people. What do you think? Would you pray with me about this? And if you're not connected with other people, get into a small group, get in connected with a church, start to minister with people, start to not be so flipping serious all the time. And like, this is just about me serving the Lord and doing, no, like just connect with people, learn to have coffee, learn to have a glass of alcohol-free beer. And, <laughs> you know, learn to do life with people and learn to prophesy because this is, this, this, it, stewarding it is so important. And you have to expect that the enemy is going to block it at every possible turn because he didn't know what was happening. Listen, I, 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 a bunch of you have heard this before. Early 2020, I am with the Lord in the, in, the, you know, in the body or in the spirit. I have no idea. And what I see is I sense that this would be, I can remember actually preaching it here probably four years ago in January. And saying that you're going to hear the word unprecedented because there's an unprecedented event about to happen from the kingdom. And of course, that's January 2020. Within two months, we're all on full lockdown. And I go on a call with John and Carol Arnott. And they're like, you know, God is sending his angels. And immediately, I'm, I'm like brought back to this place of like when I was, you know, having this encounter. And I'm like, oh, no, he's not. He's not sending his angels. In fact, he has just called all the angelic back to heaven. He's just like the free is returned to base for those that were ever in the military and before all the high tech, you know, secure stuff. If you got a message to return to base, you know there was something going down, right? You re return to base immediately. And that was the call that went out from heaven to all these angel warriors return to base immediately. So they all returned to base. And it wasn't because the enemy had done something in Wuhan. It was because heaven was planning something. Heaven has, has been planning something. And there's been these sort of deposits made in this region. There's been these sort of things that have gone into the earth uh, from heaven. I know, it gets weirder. And because God is up to something incredibly unprecedented. Like, I, I, I sort of made a resolution to not talk about, like, God raising up a new Jesus movement. Because he doesn't want to do that. He wants to do something that he's never done before. He's not just going to, like, bring out the old vineyard worship songs and we're going to get back to those days and, like, Hosanna, Hosanna. We're not, that's not what's happening. He's going to do something unprecedented. And... <laughs> Was that the dance? <laughs> that was the, listen, I was a, I pastored a vineyard church. That was the vineyard dance, just to be clear. So, 
But you get, you got, like, you got to know that your prophecy is not a reaction to what the enemy is doing. Your prophecy is proactive. It is getting you in place. And, you know, of course the enemies, they're, they're the gates of hell. Right? They're not the, like, delta force of hell. It's the gates of hell. They just don't want to give. And God is giving you the prophetic word to place you in a situation that is proactively building the kingdom. Fulfilling your purpose. Walking in the fullness of who God planned you to be. You're like, but I don't feel like it. There they are. <laughs> You're not a human feeling. You're a human being. And if you know anything about philosophy, you'll know that one of the greatest like, philosophical things is, you know, what is it being or doing? These are both elements of being. In order to be, you have to do. In order to do, you have to be. And then dooby dooby doo. That's a Sinatra song. Um, so, they're, they're, you know, angels return to base, and then within two months, COVID hit. And the church, you know, are like, oh, my goodness, politics, 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 election, 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 election. Oh, our Messiah is in the White House. Honestly. God has not chosen politics. He's chosen prophecy. And what's happening during that time is the prophetic voices your prophetic voice is prophesying catastrophe, calamity, anger, bitterness, resentment, all these things. You know, all these keyboard warriors that are using the power of their prophetic mandate to create an atmosphere that does not look like heaven. Like, you want to change the atmosphere over your family? Stop trying to correct your family and start trying to prophesy to your family. You, you, want to, you want to start to change the atmosphere in your workplace? Stop trying to isolate. Come out from among them. Come ye out from among them. How do I engage with he, she, they, them, zim, zam, zoom, whatever? How do I engage with these people? What you do is you prophesy. They need, they, listen, they need the voice of the, they need the truth of the Lord. And the truth of the Lord is not to argue about pronouns. Please. And honestly, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't have my pronouns listed. I understand the dangers of it, but I understand the antidote is not politics, it's prophecy. It's speaking things that are not as if they were. It's speaking to that son or daughter that you have that is wayward, that isn't following the Lord. It's speaking to that child of yours like they are the most precious thing that the Father ever created. It's restoring their identity, not constantly trying to change them into who you are. It's the power of prophecy. We need to understand the power that we have been given. So let me read. Let me read from Ephesians 6. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Because Brian's awesome. It's one of the most humble men on the face of the planet. Now, my beloved ones, I've saved these most important truths for last. You're going to like this. <clears throat> you're going like, to like the, the language that he uses. 
be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. What is, what is your role in, in like the evil strategies of the accuser? What's accusation? Speech. Right? It's speech. The accuser uses speech. The power of speech. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, you know, words will never, names will never hurt me. Not true. Don't know if you know that. Not true. Speech. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities, excuse me, operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are, they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the army that God provides so that you're protected as you confront the slanderer. What slander? Words. For you're destined for all things and will rise victorious. Put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert. Then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of peace. In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield. For it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. And take the mighty razor sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God. Take the mighty razor sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God. Pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Pray the blessings of God upon all his believers and pray also that God's revelation would, would be released through me every time. I, he's getting a little sneaky. Oh, don't forget, pray for me. Yes, pray that I may preach the wonderful news of God's kingdom with bold freedom at every opportunity, even though I am chained as an ambassador, right? Pray for each other. Bless, pray blessings over each other. This is spiritual warfare. Prophecy, oh, it's just encouragement. It's not, it's warfare. It's absolute warfare. Like God has got you in the palm of his hands. Like whatever, whatever is in his palms, no man can snatch out, right? You, you need to hear that. You need to know that. You need to know that God has got your back. And yet, you, yes, you may have sinned. It has come as no surprise to God that you've sinned because he made a way for that. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was called the cross. Okay, right, God has made a way for the, do you, do you know in the Old Testament that the sacrifices were for mistakes? There was no sacrifice for murder. There's no like, oh, well, this, this one's going to, you're going to have to have three fatted calves for this one. There's none of that. Like the sacrifices for, were just those things that were mistakes. But when you sinned, you had to throw yourself on the mercy of Yahweh, right? When David sinned, he's, you know, in the Psalms that he throws himself on the mercy of Yahweh. Sackcloth, ashes. So, so what, we, what we do is we end up disqualifying ourselves because I don't feel like this. I don't feel like it. 
and we try all those things, you know, like, my name is Ian, and I'm an author. How many books have you written? None. But I'm an author. And I, I believe in that. Like, I, I do believe that you're Abraham before you, the father of nations. I 100% believe in that. But what's even better is having a community of people around you that are actually going to war for going to war for you. Like what what if community, what if a prophetic community less looked less like kumbaya and more like a, a battalion, more like a squadron, more like people that are going to actually take your back, have your back. I realized that this was incredibly disappointing. I realize that you're disappointed, but I want to stand with you in the gap. I'm going to stand with you. This is not the Lord. This is delay. This is the hand of the enemy. You have still got it. You're still anointed. You're still equipped. You're still going to have the, 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 the impact that God has ordained you to be. You're not too old. You're not too single. You're not too fat. You're not too slim. You're not too gray. Or as I like to call it, platinum blonde. Right, because all the enemy wants to do is like accuse and slander, accuse and slander, and we have to use the spoken word of God over each of our lives. It isn't, it isn't just like, oh, you're awesome. Let's not reduce prophecy to that. Let's, let's actually make prophecy what it is, which is a weapon in the hands of mighty men and women that are, a, that are bringing down fortresses that are going after strongholds. Like, wh who was there last night? What about that word over California? Oh, my goodness. Prophets coming in and speaking like you are, you are the Lord. You're the crown jewel, right? Like, California, you are the gold state. Like, there is a tsunami coming. Everybody's prophesying this. There is something happening, and all we can see is what CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, the Daily Wire, wherever you get your junk from, because you're listening to a spirit of the air. And you're allowing that spirit of the air to actually inform you. You understand that some of you believe, <laughs> some of you believe conspiracies that originated in China, North Korea, and Russia. And they've provided so much evidence on the internet that you're like, oh, this is true. Look, they're hiding this document. It's true. Oh, for the love of God, prophesy. Don't, don't listen to that garbage. Prophesy. This is the word of the Lord. California, you are blessed among states. Like you are precious in the eyes of the Lord. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have a plan. And what we get to do is we get to say, all right, let's do that. We get to use these prophetic words as weapons. But it has to be challenged. It's awesome. It's fantastic. Nothing like a good challenge. And listen, I know we're all armchair warriors, right? We're all like, yes, I'll get that prophetic word. I'll stand and, you know, do it. And then, you know, I'll stand for this prophetic word. Who, who, who are all our ex-service people? Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Like, 
Sometimes war means standing in a corner for 24 hours not knowing what's happening. I'm all right. Hurry up and wait. Like sometimes that's what warfare looks like. Is like you think it's like John Wick. No. <laughs> Reacher. Anybody follow Reacher? Seriously, my blood pressure the other night, I was watching it the other night, my blood pressure was off the charts. Like, ah. <laughs> so good. That, that's what we think it is, but like 99% of the time, it's just sitting in the back of a vehicle going, I'm so bored. <laughs> right. And then you get that one thing that, you know, traumatizes you for the rest of your life. And that's <laughs> but. So I know that we're all we're all here and like we're like yeah I'll fight for this prophetic word. Will you fight for the prophetic word when it's just like boring? Dull? This is this is where this is where it's made. Yes, I'm going to like create chaos in my life so that it feels like I'm fighting for this prophetic word. No, sometimes you just got to go through relationships and you just got to go through, you know, conflict and you just got to figure things out and you just got to, you know, take a shower and cook food and worry about your weight and go to the gym if you're foolish enough to do that sort of thing. You know, this is, this is what, this is what, but. But where is the warfare for your prophetic word then if you're not like casting down strongholds? Oh, wait, that's what you are supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be warring for your word. And warring for your word is all about demolishing every thought that opposes it. I demolish, I will demolish this thought. Listen, I have my own, I have my own stuff about like spirits and demons and all that. I, I have my own stuff. That sounds weird. Um, I am way more orthodox in my belief over the demonic and evil spirits and all that. I'm way more like traditional than most charismatic people. Um, you're all intrigued. You're like, what does that mean? I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I can be there. Come tonight. I know. <laughs> but fundamentally, how do you actually control your thoughts? How do you bring these thoughts into captivity? How do you do that? Like God has said, so we get a word last night that there's, you know, God is getting ready to write the check. In most of charismania, what we do is we sit and we like, I release that check in heavens. I just release it. I loose it in Jesus' name. And I just loose and I see that hand writing the check. And I see that check and into the mail. And the, the check comes in the mail. And I go to the mailbox and I open it and it goes, yay, $6.7 million for our first monastery. Hallelujah. No. I need to bring that thought into captivity. Like Peter tells us, if you're going to suffer like him, you should learn to think like him. If you're going to suffer like Jesus, you should learn to think like Jesus. And thinking like Jesus is not, yes, Father, I see those loaves and fishes in heaven, and I just release them here. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, 
go get me. Who's got something? Anybody got something? Let's get something. Okay, and he's got something, and he actually offers it, and he gives it to the hands of the disciples. And in the hands of the disciples, it multiplies. It's in your hands that it multiplies. It's not in this thing that you're creating and anything else. But what we have to do is we have to, like, seriously, we have to take those thoughts captivity, into captivity, in order to put the correct thought into it. So if the Lord gives, if the Lord was to say, Paul, tell it here. If the Lord was to say, Paul, I want you and your family to become kingdom financiers. Like, I have a plan for your life that, that you will become a kingdom financier. And it's not about you earning hundreds of millions so that you can give away tens of millions. It will be you, you earning, bringing in hundreds of millions so that you can give away hundreds of millions. Right? So if the Lord is releasing that, does anybody, does anybody, can I get a witness? Seriously, you're, most of you anyway, but if I was in the church on the south side of Chicago right now and I said, can I get a witness, I would have got more than that. Right? So that, 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 that there's, there's a shift, that there is a shift in your strategy that's going to come and the shift in your strategy will be fueled by financing the kingdom. And it might even start to the, like with the man on your right. It might even start with something like that to say, hey, I want to finance your dream. I'm going to get this and I want to finance your dream, Larry, to do this. It's going to start like that, but there's a shift in the strategy uh, over your business that will actually be used to bring like, I, I, like multitudes into the kingdom. And I also see it like, I also see it like funding um, and it's because of your heart. I just want you to know it's because of your heart, Paul. It's not because, it's not because your work is so good and your work is so good, but it's because of your heart. And there has been this tenderness that has come into your heart. Like it's like you've been arrested by the love of God and by the passion for the things that, that he's passionate about. And it's because of that that there is this shift in strategy. And it's not that you're not going to provide for your generations to come, right? But it's just your focus is going to be on... Like, I even see these sort of, like, revival centers are not it, but it's these sort of centers of healing. They're healing centers. Oh. Can I get a witness? Right? So, here's the thing. When that's released, when that's released, the enemy's like, hell no. Right? And Paul's response to that will not be, I know it will not be, well, Lord, open the doors. Because here's the thing. There are courageous men. There are bold men that are actually, there are violent men, Scripture talks about. There are violent men that go after the promises of God. And I don't mean like killing people and all that. I just mean that they have the, the I, I should shut, he's not a woman. But yes, absolutely. But there are men like Paul that are actually used to fighting. They're used to fighting and going after with the things that God has spoken about, right? It's not a timid thing. And every single one of us need to break that passivity office in the name of Jesus. You need a little bit of boldness in your step, right? If, like, who, is there anyone in pain at the minute here? Is there anyone who is currently suffering pain in their body? 
All right, why don't you, why don't you wave your hand? Why, why don't you, I know if you can, stand up. If you can, stand up. And guys, I want you to approach this. I want, if you're around them and you're comfortable with it, I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray for them like you're bold. Like, I don't want you to pray for them. Well, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for everything you do. I want you to pray and I want you to take authority over it. And I want you to cast it out. Treat it like a spirit. Listen, I give you permission to treat it like it's a spirit. Treat it like a spirit. Cast it out, people. Take authority over it and cast it out. All right, check in with them to see how it's going. You know the drill. All right, check in. All right, just finish up. That'd be great. All right, did anybody see any improvement? Yeah, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. So th this is... Uh, We have to take every thought captive, right? So God speaks, releases that. There will be opposition to it. 
I'm not speaking that out like I'm not creating something, but you just need to be aware that there's opposition to any prophetic word that's released, right? There has to be for it to be built in you before it's built around you, right? And you have to steward that. So you have to steward your beliefs around you. So, like, faith isn't this thing that you just sort of muster up. Well, okay. Rachel, dump me. Okay, oh, I'm just going to believe. I'm going <laughs> to, right? It's, it's like, I'll be, I'm going to be alone forever. I'm going to be alone forever. I'm 22 and all dried up. It's, it's just, it's like, that's, I was 22 at the time. I thought I was too old. It's like, oh, no, I'm I'm washed up. This is ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. I sacrificed seven years. Well, I think it was 20, 20, yeah, 22, 23. But you have to manage your own faith. Now, how do you manage that? You've got this prophetic word. God has called you to be a prophet to the nations, right? You're afraid of public speaking. What are you going to do? Right? You're just, you're just going to manage your faith. Right? So, you know, I mean, we all, we have heard it so many times. So one of the things I do a lot is I help, um, like, people, Christians in ministry make money. You want to get hit on the internet? <laughs> Talk about that. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, you know, again, I don't feel like an apostle. don't feel like a seer. It's like everybody else. Um, and then God gives me three messages. The apostles, the angelic, and making money doing ministry. <laughs> so much fun. I get so much feedback from people. Right? <laughs> I got so much feedback that is like, especially if you if you want to start to talk about like pastors, prophets, teachers, apostles, evangelists starting to make money online, you have no idea. It's no wonder that they're kept in poverty. But the the overarching thing for me is actually going after the the spirit of religion and politics. You know, they're the same spirit. I know some people talk about the the you know the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, they're, they're the same thing. Like we all like think we're not getting into religion, but we're getting into politics. It's the same spirit. And going after that spirit is my lifelong passion. I love it. I just love it. I love seeing all the religious things getting tweaked with people like, no. But all I need, like here's one, here's one for all you Americans. All I need is the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Nonsense. 100% nonsense. <laughs> unless you're a Hebrew scholar, unless you're an Aramaic scholar, unless you're a Greek scholar, and you have all the original documents, then I'll give you, then you've got a little bit of a start in the rest of us. But as all I need is the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and I'm good, is just making us impotent. We are eunuchs because we're just refusing to take other people. First of all, the Bible is probably translated by a bunch of people that you wouldn't even agree with. 
Second of all, I have never met anybody who hears the Holy Spirit 100% accurately. So be happy in your deception. But they sound so good, right? It sounds so good. It sounds like it could almost be true. And then you get these niggling passages in Scripture where we're called to be in a body. And we're not allowed to say, I don't belong here because I'm not an I, so I'm going to do it on my own with the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And nor are we allowed to say, you know, you're different from me, so you don't belong here. Like, we're supposed to be a body. And then you get this niggling thing that he calls us an assembly. Ugh. Oh, which means we have to be ikea right? Awesome. We're going to start a church that's like the most complex Lego model you've ever come across. And you're like, that doesn't fit there. Get that. Oh. Right? We're an assembly. That's like the congregation. And you go, well, I don't need to meet in a ch church to be a Christian. You're absolutely right. In the same way, I don't need to live with Rachel to be married to her. It's way better, just to be clear. <laughs> it's way better living with her. Mostly. No, no, just joking. So we, ha we have to, like, learn how to deal with our thoughts. Like, this is what repentance is. You've probably heard me say it a bunch of times. I remember my spiritual father teaching me that the word for repent was metanoia, because it might annoy you. <laughs> right? It's easy to remember. It's just this is, this is really annoying. And, and, you know, <laughs> what do you mean I have to think differently? That's exactly what repent for the kingdom of hand says, like, Brian Simmons translates it. He says, you're going to have to forget everything you've, you've believed up to now because I've brought the kingdom with me, which means you have to stop looking for materialistic proof. Right? You have to believe. Well, I will believe. I wish I could see angels. Anybody ever said that? I wish I could see angels. Well, maybe it starts with you believing and being thankful for the angels that you don't see but that you know that, you're th that are there. Like maybe you just start. Maybe you just start with the, like changing how you think about a thing. Like my marriage, my wife doesn't do this. My wife doesn't do that. Well, what if you started to like be biblical and appreciate her the way you're supposed to, love her the way you're supposed to, cherish her the way you're supposed to? It'll change your marriage. Like there's this word has been going around for about a year and a half, which is like do the things that you first did when you first fell in love. Right? Do those things. And you'd be surprised at how much of a difference that it makes. So one of the things I do is I get to help people in ministry put stuff online and make money and all that. And I think I probably have... Yeah, there we go. Um, it's... it's Amazing how unique everybody is while believing the exact same lie. What if the thing that's stopping you moving forward in the prophetic word, your destiny, your call, your purpose, the promise of God over your life, what if the main obstacle is that you don't believe you're enough? 
that anybody resonate with that? Anybody? Nobody? Imagine. Imagine that you have been infected with the lie that was first told to Adam and Eve. You need something more. You just need something more. Like I have people that are creating courses to put them as e-courses and writing books and doing these mentorships and coachings and membership classes. And the common factor amongst them all is like, it has, it has to be like, it has this, we, we use a word in Christendom, it has to be excellent to honor the Lord. Perfectionism. If I can only make this perfect, then I'll feel good about it. If I can only make this perfect, then I will maybe convince myself that I'm good enough to do it. If I can wait until I have all my ducks in a row and the time is opened up, and all, we just completely deceive ourselves the whole time instead of saying, arise and build. Arise and build. I, I don't feel ready. I know. That's, that's the way it is, I'm afraid. That's actually the way it is. Anybody else ever experienced that in their life where you find yourself doing something you weren't prepared for? This is life, people. But when we have agency, when we have like a role in it, and we actually have to start to do something, then we take the coward's way out and say, no, it needs to be excellent. And again, we're confusing, because we're confusing what we define as excellence with what he defines as excellence. What he defines as excellence is obedience. Like obedience is the excellence, not perfection. You were created with a word. This earth was created with a word. Right? You have that beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit vibrating over the deep. That's what it means. And it says, you know, he hovered. The word is vibration, that there's this... And you're all Southern Cows, so hey, good vibes. There was good vibes happening there, you know. These, these were the vibrations of, of Yahweh, of the Holy Spirit over the deep, and then a word spoke. I, I, I don't get superstitious about what I say. If I go, you know, if I stand up and say, hey, you're all disappointed I'm here, um, I don't get terribly superstitious about that in case you all become very disappointed that I'm here. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I know that if you want to create or destroy, if you want to bless or you want to curse, you use your word. So this is how I take every thought into captivity. I can't remember what the most recent one was, but there was definitely a most recent one. <coughs> let's, let's, pick, let's pick financial destitution. Does anybody ever worry about that? No? Just me. Okay. Um, oh, I'm glad. Maybe you could lay hands on me and, you know. Like, so, so say you've got this thing that you're going to be homeless and you're going to be sick and you're going to, like, say you have that thought going on in your, ha in your head. I want you to start treating it like a spirit. Like the way you've been taught to do in deliverance schools, 
right? I take authority over this foul spirit, this thought of destitution, this thought of poverty, this thought of ill health. I take authority over you as a creator in the universe, as someone who's been called to be fruitful and multiply and have governance of the earth. That's my role here, and I take authority over you thought, and I command you to leave me in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus and by his blood, I command you to go. You have no part of me. You are not, you're nothing to do with me. You're, you're foreign. You're a foreign object in my system, and I am commanding you right now to leave me. Now, you, you might have to do that several times over the course of five minutes depending on how deep that stronghold is. You might have to do that over the course of like a lifetime. But you'll notice that the spaces between get, get different, right? Rather than saying, rather than actually giving life to something like, oh, I'm, we're going to be homeless, Rachel, we're going to be homeless. Rather than giving life to that, like Rachel will tell you things like, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I just don't talk about these things. And I'm not bearing, maybe I am bearing my head in the sand. I don't believe I am. But there's just things I won't give voice to because I know in that moment I am in creator mode. You know when, you're, you know when your amygdala's up and you're afraid and you're anxious, you're in creator mode. You know when you're in love and all lovey-dovey and all that, you're in creator mode. Lovey-dovey, I don't know what that was, but... <laughs> Hey, it's not being videoed. Very good. <laughs> right? You, when, you're, when you're in these sort of heightened states emotionally, you are in creator mode. So if you can get yourself when you're anxious and create something, when you're anxious about your health, your relationships, your finances, your future, your job, when you're anxious about those, if you can start to create a different thing, you will create a different reality. This isn't name it and claim it. This is use the power of your creator mode. This ability to speak things that are not as though they were. Speaking things into existence. You're not like... Uh, you're, you're like, it's not like your thoughts are not, you know... You're not being controlled by your thoughts. You know the way you can think about thinking? Well, you can bring that into, sub, in, into captivity and not like, go, oh, no, I think this, I think this. But even that would be a step up for most of us because we're just feeling it. Right? Anyway, why don't we stand? So Rachel and I are going to be uh, ministering this afternoon at Farwheel. So wear your bright yellow t-shirt. <laughs> you ever do that? You're going to, like, there's a chance I'm going to be prophesied over. Bright yellow t-shirt. No? Nobody ever do that? Be honest, how many people do that? How many people go to a prophetic meeting when they know there's going to be prophetic ministry? No? It's just us, love. <laughs> Rachel taught me how to do it. 
All right, why don't, why don't we assume the position right now? Do you know what assume the position means? It means you put your hands out and you close your eyes. Don't care where you put your hands out. You cannot receive with a clenched fist. That's why it's always, it's always important to give before you receive. Because you can't do it. Like we understand that we're not just, this is, we're not simply bodies. We are not spirit beings in this body. That's not, that's not what scripture says. We are whole beings. Right, Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of the Father in a body, a resurrected body, and we long for the promise of this glorious resurrection body, right? So, so Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would stir up those prophecies that have been shredded, trod on, and burnt. Just bring them to mind right now. God, I pray that we would, we would steward these, that we would have the faith, but it's not faith. Like, we can't have faith that we're just pumping up. God, I pray for an injection of hope right now, an injection of hope. These things that have been dormant for 10 years, 20 years, and we just let go because we were so disappointed. And I know right now that some of us are feeling absolutely terrified that we would ever believe again. Be strong and of great courage. Be strong and of great courage. And God, I pray that, that courage would come into the room for the sake, not for the sake of our purpose, but for the sake of the lives that we'll touch, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of nations, for the sake of widows and orphans, for the sake of people that are in a great darkness. God, I pray that you would allow us to have the strength and courage to hope again. And God, I pray right now that we would actually be different, that we wouldn't just hear this and then just go our merry way, but that we would leave and that we would speak peace wherever it is we're going to have lunch that we would bless the servers. Yes, tip them extravagantly, but call out their identity. Speak life. Speak life. In Jesus' name.